Well, we've been making our way through uh, the Bible using this resource called The Story. How's everyone going with it? Still going? That's good. Excellent. We've only got, I think this is the third last week in the Old Testament. And as Kerry said, uh, it's been longish. And, um, and, and some of the, the lessons have repeated themselves, which is fine. I think that's important for us uh, to be able to, to see those lessons as well. Now, you know, as we go through this, th- there's differences in context, isn't there? You know, you've got these ancient cultures where we're in a modern culture. There's old covenant, there's new covenant. And, and it's really important that as we read and study the Bible, we, we consider these contextual differences, lest we miss the, the message that God wants for us. Often, though, we can take a biblical principle from an ancient context. And if we use good principles of interpretation and apply that principle today, because, again, I find the worship leaders have been kind of, um, they've been tracking well with this and, and preaching a little bit into these sermons, which I love. You know, as humans, we have that same nature that the Old Testament people had, that the people of old, God's people of old. And God has the same nature as well. And so we're going to be able to extract lessons and principles from the Old Testament. So we're following this wider story arc of God's redemption plan while learning the lessons in the, in the lower stories as we read. Last week we looked at uh, Daniel and his three friends. And, and the lesson on that was, well, how can we be holy in exile? And while we acknowledge that there's a big gap between what we think is exile for us and what Daniel experienced and, and what you know, a lot of Christians experience in other places around the world, there, there were still lessons for us. And the lesson is this. We don't withdraw and fight against our, our society. Rather, we take that lesson from Jeremiah that he gave to the exiles. He said, you should be working. This is the message from God. You should be working for the peace and prosperity of the city that you are now part of. In other words, God's heart is for people. And it's for his people, us as well, to make a positive difference to the communities they live in. Yes, not necessarily in all the ways that the culture does it. That's not the lesson. And yes, there's absolutely times that we have to make a stand and not compromise. We, we learned that last week as well. But we do live out these principles of love and generosity and humility and grace. We work for the peace and prosperity for our city. It means that wherever you are and whatever circumstances you find yourself in, whether you're in in a workplace, in a university, in a school, whatever it is, you can adopt the same attitude that Jesus had. Well, if you don't know what that is, let's have a, a quick look at what Paul says in Philippians. He says, don't be selfish. This is us in our culture, right? Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And then verse 5, Paul says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. That's what I'm trying to, you know, marry that into what we were learning, what what Jeremiah was saying, who we should be. Imagine a world where that verse 5 there was the norm for everyone. Imagine that world for a minute. That's, I think that's the dream that God has. 
where everyone is reconciled to him through Jesus, you know, peace and generosity and humility and, and, and selflessness, that, that just reigns in our culture. Can, you, can anyone else imagine it? I think God imagines it and actually hopes and, and wants it. The thing is, the church is the conduit. We are, we are the, um, we're the expression of that dream, hopefully. The church is not about control and power over people. It's the, it's the passageway to reconciliation with Christ and, that, and, the, and the lives that are changed that follow that reconciliation. So this week, a major promise God gave to the exiles is realized. So just a short reminder, after Israel split in two, you know, the northern kingdom was eventually conquered by the Assyrians and many of them carried off into captivity. Now, the Assyrians were conquered by the Babylonians. And it was the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar that conquered the southern kingdom, you know, the two tribes of Benjamin and Judah that is called the Judah. And they took off many of them into exile as well, into Babylon, which is where the story of Daniel and his friends was last week. And then um, next week, by the way, we're going to look at Esther. The following week, Claire's going to look at Nehemiah, and then we're into New Testament. But towards the end of this 70 years of exile for, for uh, Judah, the Persians conquered the Babylonians. Great time to live in, in that area of the world, wasn't it? You know, these things were going on. This is where we're up to today in, in this reading. The new Persian king had actually no interest in keeping the Jews in captivity. In one sense, you could almost say that King Cyrus was their liberator. Because when he, when he waltzed in, things turned around real quickly for them. Here's what it says in Ezra chapter 1. This was your reading this week. In the first year of, king of Cyrus, king of Persia... In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put it in writing. And this is what, this, what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. Any of his people among you may go up to Jerusalem in Judah and build the temple of the Lord the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem, and may their God be with them. And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with freewill offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. Verse 5, And then the family heads of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart God had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All their neighbours assisted them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with valuable gifts, in addition to all the free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed in the temple of his God. Cyrus, king of Persia, had them brought by Mithridath, the treasurer, who counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah." Sheshbazar, by the way, is also known as uh, Zerubbabel. If I'm getting the names wrong, you can correct me later. And he would be the first governor of Judah on their return. So we go down to verse 11. In all, there was 5,400 articles of gold and silver. That would be hard to carry all the way back. Sheshbazar brought all of, all of these along with the exiles when they came up from Babylon to Jerusalem. 
And so the first of three groups of people set off to Jerusalem from Babylon with this intent purpose, with the, the purpose of building the temple. That was what Cyrus tell them you had to do, right? Go and build your temple. And Zerubbabel would be their governor, and uh, there'd be a new priest by the name of Joshua. Haggai and Zechariah, they're, they're the prophets around this time as well, just to help you if you know some of this history. So this first group, they spent 20 difficult years trying to build, rebuild the temple. There was times when it just didn't look like it was going to happen. But they persevered, and their perseverance paid off, which is some of what I want us to think about today. For this first group, they're just a fledgling nation, kind of re reborn, and they're trying to get their, on their feet again. And they had to really decide what's important. What do we do first? Keep in mind, they had abandoned God and they'd ended up in exile. And so they, we're hoping that they've learned something, right? In their 20 years in exile. Hopefully, that was enough time for God to get a message through. I think this is the lesson. And it's a simple one. Always, number one, always keep the main thing the main thing. By the way, there's only two points today. You'll be glad to know. Keep the main thing the main thing. Always keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing, of course, goes all the way back to what Moses said to them in Deuteronomy chapter 6. This verse keeps appearing in my sermons. He said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. So for the returning Jews, rebuilding the temple was a priority because it was through the temple and the systems of sacrifice that God's people stayed in right relationship with him. That was their focus. So everything else was going to become secondary. Hopefully we've learned our lesson. Ezra chapter 3 says this. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, a son of, of Josedach, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and his associates, began to build the altar of, of the God of Israel to sacrifice burnt offerings on it in accordance, in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. Despite their fear of the peoples around them, important point, they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening sacrifices. So you note they started with the altar. This is where it all, all begins. It, that's what went first. Getting, making sure we're right with God, uh, making sure we're loving him, was their priority. It mentioned in that... In that passage there that there was fear because you know there's serious concerns about what the people around them are thinking of this and and how they might might respond to them but they kept the main thing the main thing loving God with heart soul and strength this is what had gone missing before exile so how do we respond to this today as God's people because you know we don't have this temple where God resides except we do and it's not, not this building, and it's not, what's the nicest church in Brisbane? You know, St. John's, maybe? St. John's Cathedral? Albert Street Uniting? It's none of them. It's not St. Peter's in Vatican City? 
Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? So God's people in the time of Ezra built a temple to honor and worship God to be a place worthy of his presence. They sacrificed on the altar in the temple. Now we're the temple. And so we honor and we worship God in a new way. Here's what Paul says in Romans. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them, your bodies, be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. A living sacrifice. We don't need animal sacrifice for our sins to be right with God because the the cross has done that. We know once and for all. So now the way we live is our sacrifice and we live in such a way out of love for God. Everything we do, everything we say, and even the things that we entertain in our minds, those are the things that we do as a living sacrifice. If, if you don't love Jesus with all your heart, soul, and strength, you'll probably struggle to be the living sacrifice that you know, Paul's saying that's the kind of the acceptable one, the acceptable sacrifice. That's why we keep the main thing the main thing, loving God with all our heart, soul, and strength. In my experience, an acceptable living sacrifice is born out of this love. It can't just be born out of a list of rules. You know, I had a period in my teenage life where I thought it was just all about taking those right boxes and doing those things. But, you know, you you nearly always won't do it well enough. It actually had to come from a place of love for Jesus. This doesn't come out of a place out of someone's judgment for me. It comes out of that desire to live for Jesus because, because he loves me and I love him. Keeping the main thing the main thing. Jesus reaffirmed this teaching from Moses in Deuteronomy, the one that we just read. Except he adds another one from Moses in Leviticus, and he puts them together. And it comes up with this in Matthew 22. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. We know Moses also said strength. All four of them are good. And then he says, this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what the returned Jews in Jerusalem were focused on, ensuring their love for God was first, and it expands out to the people around them as well. And my experience in life is that every relationship that I want to be a a good one, where I want it to be a loving relationship, it's just going to take, it's going to take my time. It's going to take my effort. It's going to take self-sacrifice. And as soon as I withdraw time, and as soon as I withdraw effort, and as soon as I withdraw self-sacrifice and I make it about me and not about what we read earlier, that relationship inevitably drifts you know, it's on me. Inevitably, we drift. It becomes less than it should be. The connection weakens, and the, and the love kind of just feels like it's not there anymore from me. We know it's always there from God. This is one of the reasons why this church exists, all churches, so that we can encourage each other, hey, stay close to Jesus. Not to hammer you over the head with things, that you might be doing wrong. Although if you give me permission to, I'm happy to do that. (laughs) 
But really, ultimately, what we're about here is, hey, church, stay close to Jesus. Keep the main thing the main thing. Live for him. We're not here to guilt anyone into that or to force anyone. We're not here to uh, control or manipulate. Our relationship with Jesus is an invitation into his love and his grace. And that should be how the church always sees it. We encourage, we teach the word, we invite. Yes, accountability is in there too when we do it lovingly. So the lesson from the returning Jews is a relentless focus on the main thing. And I just want to encourage you this morning, church, keep the main thing the main thing. Your love for God. Number two, which means we must be halfway, is expect opposition to that. But opposition builds perseverance if we keep the main thing the main thing. In Ezra chapter 4, we read from verse 4, Then the peoples around them set out to discourage the people of Judah and make them afraid to go on building. They bribed officials to work against them and frustrate their plans during the entire reign of Cyrus, king of Persia, and down to the reign of Darius, king of Persia. It didn't take long for outside opposition to come their way. And this has always been the pattern through the Bible for those who follow God all the way through. And, and in, in, depending on where you are, it continues today in various ways. All the Old Testament followers of God, all the New Testament followers, we, we will find opposition to our faith. You know, and I'm grateful for the country we live in. We should be. You know, opposition in this country is kind of... It's, it's, it's benign when you compare it to other countries, right? We talked about this last week. No one's going to try to imprison or kill, or kill me for loving Jesus, but certainly some might dismiss me or ridicule me. And I've had several of those moments in my life. These days I'm actually just a little bit less concerned about what people might think about my faith in Jesus than I, perhaps I was as a young person. Most people, if, it, if the topic of Jesus or faith comes up in our country, we'll just stay quiet, right? And maybe talk about you when you're gone. <laughs> now, I remember as a 17-year-old, I got my license and I, take, I took mum's car over to a friend's house where a bunch of friends were all staying for the, for the afternoon. These are, I went to Fernie Grove High Public School. There wasn't very many Christian friends in that particular school at that time. So I take my car there, and of course we're inside, and they decide we're going to do a Macca's run. And since I'm the one with the new license and a car they haven't been in, they're going to choose, it's me, I'm going to drive them down to Macca's. So we all, we all jump in, and what I forgot about was my mum had this little stick in the middle of the console that said, I heart Jesus. <laughs> because she does, by the way. <laughs> and as soon as they all jumped in, because, huh, you know, I jump in, I go, oh, yeah. <laughs> One of them points to this little sticker, and it was a, it was a mocking voice. What is that? <laughs> and um, like I said, I was 17, and, and, and back then I was concerned about what people would think of my love for God. So I froze. I had no idea how to explain to these, these three guys why the car I was driving had this sticker that declares, I love Jesus. That was kind of foreign to them. So I gave my lamest answer. 
Well, it's my mum's car. <laughs> that was the best I could come up with. And there was more laughing and mocking, but thankfully, Mac is, is down, at, down at Groveley, and it wasn't that far away, right? So, I mean, that, that's nothing, hey, compared to what many of our brothers and sisters have to face around the world. But I admit, being a Christian in, in school as a 17-year-old, it was, it was, I was kind of scared at times about what people would think. I was always grateful for my church friends, though. I was always grateful that mum and dad brought me to church. I was grateful for youth group. I was grateful for high school camp. But the point is, opposition will come, and we can expect it, so we won't be surprised. Sometimes there isn't much we can do about it, so the lesson is just to have courage, trust God, and leave it with him. And for the returning exiles, they, they lived with opposition, and they didn't let us stop them from rebuilding the temple so they could worship God and keep the main thing the main thing. The people opposing them sent a letter to the new king of Babylon, Artaxerxes. He came after Cyrus, telling him what was going on and asking him to put a stop to it. And he didn't know the original plan that Cyrus had put in place. So he did actually order for work to stop, and it did stop for a bit. So along come, comes the prophets again, okay? You know, whenever they show up, you're like, oh, here we go again. Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, who told them, nope, just get back to it. It's time to do what you've been told to do and trust God with all that opposition that's coming against you. So they did. They started building again. Again, the surrounding people tried to stop them. They sent another letter to the king. This time it's a, it's a little bit further down, and it's Darius this time. Darius searches the archives and he finds the original pro proclamation from King Cyrus that not only permits the rebuilding of the temple, but actually he finds in this um, proclamation that people, that we're to provide supplies to them. So it's not just you can build. It's something more than that. So Darius writes back to those in the region trying to stop the temple building and he tells them, don't stop, don't get in the way. In fact, you're going to help supply isn't God good? So in Ezra 6, verse 8, Moreover, I hereby decree what you are to do for these elders of the Jews in the construction of this house of God. Their expenses are to be fully paid out of the royal treasury from the revenues of trans-Euphrates so that the work will not stop. Whatever is needed, young bulls, rams, male lambs, or burnt offerings to the God in heaven, and, and wheat, salt, Wine and olive oil, as requested by the priests in Jerusalem, must be given them daily without fail so that they may offer sacrifices pleasing to the God of heaven and pray for the well-being of the king and his sons. Well, let's turn something around. So expect opposition and trust God with the outcome while we work for the peace and prosperity of our city. It was God's idea for the temple to be rebuilt. He was going to make a way. He told them, you can go and do that. He was going to make a way. And he did. Not only did they have protection, they had funding. What looked like certain defeat had actually turned into success because they were willing to keep persevering. Verse 14, so the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah a descendant of Edo. They finished building the temple 
according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles, they celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. And it's the same for us. I'm not talking about our building program, although there could be some lessons in there for that. I'm talking about us, the church, God's people, and the mission that he gave to us to do. Not just Hills Church, the church. Because we're going to face setbacks. We're going to face difficulties. We're going to even face opposition. But the church was God's plan for spreading the message of redemption into this world, into his community on the north side of Brisbane. So nothing really should, is going to stop God's plan. He is sovereign. All the churches have that role. So God wants us to succeed. So when the setbacks or opposition come, we hand that over to God. And we trust him and we persevere. This is a matter of faith for us. In fact, I will go further and say that trouble and opposition can even turn out for our good. We've read that somewhere, haven't we? Because if we truly trust God, we learn perseverance. If we trust only ourselves, we give up. Or maybe we just labor in vain. Perseverance is actually a powerful weapon in the kingdom of God. Perseverance produces results. Without it, we won't see the fruit. Far too many people give up on what God has called them to do because it got hard and they faced opposition. Jesus has called us, us, to do something. You know, we, we have this four-part mission statement on, on this stage for year after year, not just because it looks good, but because it, it's, it's meaningful. This is the mission that God has given to us. We believe this is why we're here. We're doing it all for God's glory. We're doing it because we want, you know, we're working for the peace and prosperity. We're embracing people. We want people to, to be loved like Jesus loved them. We're planting seeds. You know, Jesus used that term, terminology and so did, so, so did Paul sometimes. It's, it's not just about um, being an evangelist on a street corner. We're planting seeds. We're doing acts of love. We're telling people our story, what God has done for us planting seeds of the gospel, and we're making devoted followers of God who keep the main thing the main thing. So we persevere. You know, we've done, I've lost track, it's like six or seven alphas now. And there's just been some really great fruit that's come from that. And there's sometimes there's even been some disappointments that's come from it too. But that's okay, we're going to persevere and keep the main thing the main thing because I believe God is going to bring even more fruit. I believe there's going to be breakthroughs. I can't wait when we get to alpha number 20 or alpha number 30. I wonder what it will look like. I'm going to persevere with that and keep going. We've been meeting to pray on Wednesday nights for nearly seven years now. In February, we averaged 40 to 50 of you in here and I loved it and it was awesome. We're going to do it again next February. Sometimes it's significantly less than that. You know, I love it when it's 50. I love it when it's 10. But we're going to persevere in prayer because I'm convinced that God is working as a result. Trust me, if we're not praying, don't expect God to be working. He might be working somewhere else. We've persevered with supporting overseas and local missions. And, we, man, we're seeing such great fruit from that. 
the missions giving is going up, we're sending out more funds, we're really, uh, it, it's having an effect on those missionaries overseas. You heard a story last week about that. We even now sent our own missionary from within for the first time in nearly 30 years. The last one was over 30 years ago, if I remember rightly. And, uh, and now we've got three more talking to us and exploring that calling. Persevering. Isn't that good? We're persevering with raising new leaders and pastors from within. I felt like God said, keep looking from within. Sometimes you have to start from scratch, and it's happening. All of your pastors here are still studying, by the way. You should pray for them. <laughs> that includes me. But there's several young people here exploring that, that as well, that journey into ministry. That's exciting. We're persevering. The youth are out this morning, aren't they? I'll talk about them for a second. Because Rachel will tell you it takes perseverance to lead the youth band. Trust me, I watched. <laughs> but we're seeing fruit from that. It's so good. We've persevered with the counselling service. It's gone for over 20 years now. We've seen great fruit and there's, there's an, some new stuff just around the corner with that. By the way, um, Hannah Kelly, who's been one of our volunteers, has now joined as a paid counsellor as well. We should congratulate her for that. Doing an awesome job, and Hannah and Chris and Karen and, um, and, and some of the other volunteers in there doing a fantastic job. But they've been doing some new um, PD lately, and we're going to be offering some new, some new stuff to our family support service soon for, this, for our local neighbourhood. It's going to be great. You know, the op shop has stories of fruit from persevering. It started as a little tiny um, op shop in that little tiny chapel up there, and it keeps growing and growing and growing, and it, and it touches lots of lives, and people come there, and they feel really loved and supported. Perseverance. Uh, you could say this thing about the youth and the kids' ministries. Great stories from Adam and, and Beck, how they've seen fruit in their ministries. But they'll tell you that there was times when it can be tempting to give up. You know, you feel let down, or things aren't going very well, or whatever. But you persevere, and the fruit starts to come. I'm not su suggesting that we've arrived at some kind of destination, by the way, because we, we haven't. You know... When Jesus comes, that'll be our destination time. In, in the meantime, there's 48,000 people in this postcode alone, and 90% and of them probably aren't in church today. They don't know Jesus. So we, we gotta, Jesus gave us that job. The life of faith will face many challenges, as will the mission of the church. I've already kind of quoted this one, but we look at James and we remember, he said, consider it pure joy. I just think, man, what joy that's pure. That's pretty good joy, all right? Not just, he didn't say consider it kind of joyful. He said pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. No one likes that. I find it hard to find pure joy when I'm going through trials. But he says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you will be mature, that you'll be complete, and that you won't lack anything. Well, who wants those three things? Yeah, me too. So bring the trials. No, no, no. <laughs> Just when you get the trials, stop and remember. Oh, God's going to do something in me. That's going to be good. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So don't give up, church. Whatever it is that's going on in your life. You know, maybe there's a relationship that just, maybe it takes more from you than you, than you give. Don't give up. 
persevere. Maybe God has called you into something and the doors keep closing. You just keep facing blockages. There's been years of it. Well, if God is calling, don't give up. He may change the the direction or whatever it is, but don't give up on God. Keep the main thing the main thing. He is forming you in that process and teaching you something really important. Whatever it is, we could be bitter about setbacks. You know, the, the Jews who came home, they could have been real bitter because they had to stop building. Or you learn from them and you grow and you persevere. Perseverance, again, leads to maturity and maturity leaves you complete and lacking nothing. So being mature must be important and perseverance helps us get there. Sometimes we give up just before the breakthrough happens. I wonder how often that's happened. I wonder how often a church or, or even just a ministry or even just one, an individual, one of us, has given up just before a breakthrough is about to happen. So that, that's the lesson for today for us. Perseverance. In faith. I love the promise. We will reap a harvest of blessing. It's gone. But we will, leave, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Is everyone with me? All right, let's stand. We're going to pray. The team can come. Lord, I just want to thank you again that the history of, of uh, your people uh, made it onto paper and we can read it today and you can speak to us. And I pray, Lord, for us as a church that, uh, you know, when times of trial come, we, we will know what it means to, to persevere, to not give up. And so we're going to hold on to that promise this morning that out of that comes so much, including a a harvest. God, bring that on, please. (laughs) We pray. I pray as we leave this morning that your word will just sit and resonate in our hearts as we keep our eyes on you and we keep the main thing the main thing. Amen.